There are three readings tonight, each from the Gospel of John, from John 10, 22 to 30. It was the feast of the dedication of Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered round him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. From John 13, 31 to 35. When he, Judas Iscariot, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jewish leaders, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved another. And from John 14, 15 through 20. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will know that I am the Father, and you and me and I in you. The word of the Lord. I don't always feel the way I want to feel. Or um, I remember how I felt at a certain time and how I loved feeling a certain way. And I can remember it, but I can't... Sometimes when I remember it, I feel that way again. But do you know... Can you feel me? Yeah, I'm not... Or just like, maybe I'm just sort of such an animal, such a creature, you know? Like, for the last week, wasn't, like, the sun shining and wasn't the weather, like, amazing? And didn't you just feel like skipping around everywhere? I know I did, and where's the skipping today? It, what, it just takes a couple gray days and then that's it? I'm all like, I'm done? Spring is over for me? I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I could kind of... Rem like, wasn't Easter just like three weeks ago? Something like that? Where there was like the beauty of the resurrection and the redemption of the world by God was like present with me and I felt this joy... I hope it's just the weather. So, uh, Federico Fellini is sitting in a director's chair in front of the Trevi Fountain. This is from this, it's this uh, 1960s documentary that was shot during the making of La Dolce Vita. And the interviewer is asking Fellini questions, like happily, excitedly. 
He's sitting in a chair next to Fellini, and he's twisting and fidgeting around like a kid. He's like super happy to be there, to be with Fellini. But Fellini is not giving him his full attention. Fellini, he keeps turning and looking over his shoulder. The cameraman or the assistant director, I don't know who it is, is trying to set up a shot. And Fellini keeps turning and looking. It's night, and they're adjusting these lights uh, for this shot. And as they adjust them, the beam of the light moves across this, the gigantic sculptures of the fountain, picking out things and bringing them out into view as they go by. Now, the fountain dominates Trevi Square. It's at the end of an aqueduct built in 19 BC. And the central figure in this, uh, in this sculpture here, in this fountain, is Neptune, god of the sea. And it, illuminated by a single beam moving over it, his face shows the menace that the sea is completely capable of. And on either side of him are figures representing abundance and salubrity, or good health, vitality of life. At his feet is the chaos of the sea, waves crashing, carved in marble, all of it. And from beneath them, water gushes out into the large pool of the fountain. The interviewer, moving in his chair, keeps asking Fellini questions, almost standing sometimes to follow Fellini's head with the microphone in his hand as Fellini turns to look at the scene. Below the menace and chaos of Neptune and the abundance of good health which flank him and of which he is capable of offering as he is of destruction and death is Anita Ekberg, the actress, splashing around in the pool. The beam catches her, first shivering, then laughing, slapping the water just on the edge of where the gush of the water pours into the pool from below Neptune. She is bored, amusing herself between takes. Fellini smiles and turns back to the interviewer. Then the interviewer asks, what is the feeling or emotion that inspires and nourishes you most? Fellini starts to turn his head away again and then stops, turns back, and for the first time, turns fully to face the interviewer, gives the interviewer his full attention for the first time. Fellini smiles and kneads his face with his left hand. I don't know, he says. Perhaps the attempt to recapture, to hear once more an utterance that's been interrupted, repeated, each time with a weaker and weaker voice until I could no longer hear it. He turns his whole body to the interviewer. This feeling, he continues, of grasping at the frayed ends of a broken string. I realize I'm being lyrical, but if you want me to tell you what emotion most nourishes me, I have to say it is the straining to hear with my ears and my heart something that's nearly been forgotten. James Allison, in his book, Knowing Jesus, says that after talking, for, says after talking for paragraphs about how if we have a faith at all, it is because we have received a witness. He says, I stress all this because some people treat the Gospels, for instance, as if they were biographies of Jesus, sort of primitive history books. They are, not, they are nothing of the sort. 
They are witnesses to the apostolic experience of the resurrection and the rewriting of the last years before the resurrection in light of that resurrection. This isn't a thought, of course, that's original to James Allison, but it's a reminder that I need. It really struck me because having been reading the Gospel of John a lot, having read it a lot, uh, maybe I need to be reminded. I need, I need that to come back to me, that reminder, so I can get back to this Gospel. Not thinking of John as a biography, I don't do that, or a primitive history. I actually have the opposite problem. It's easy for me to think of the Gospel of John as John is sort of knowingly writing a theology, a theological reflection on the life of Jesus. I need to be reminded that, like the other Gospel writers, John is writing a witness. He is telling, trying to tell what happened with Jesus, happened with him and to him and to him and to Jesus. Allison says the Gospels are a witness to the apostolic experience of the resurrection and the rewriting of the last years before the resurrection, but in light of the resurrection. This is John's witness, his telling of his experience of the resurrection and his rewriting of the last years of the time, his time with Jesus in light of the resurrection. This is astonishing to me how he writes this book in that light, what he says, that this is how John tells about that time with Jesus. It's certainly not biography or history. Sure, there's a lot of telling what happens in the gospel, but in the sections that were read tonight, this is just the beginning of this long, long section, five chapters, which is a quarter of the whole book where Jesus keeps saying the same thing basically over and over again. Jesus keeps saying basically the same confounding things over and over again. Let me excerpt and highlight these things for you. Now, please don't try to track it completely. It is John. But let me, let just hear, maybe just let it wash over you and pool around you and maybe just seep in a little bit. John has Jesus saying, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do not know him, and have, you have seen him. Do, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? That the Father and I are one? That the Father dwells in me, and I in the Father, and the Father is in me? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another to be with you forever. You will know him because he abides with you, and he was with me and is now in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. You will not be snatched away from me. In a little while, the world will not see me, but you will see me because I live with you also, and because of that, you also will live. 
Abide in me as I abide in you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I have made known to you everything that I have heard from the Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I'm giving these commandments so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me first, and because of that, it hates you. If you belong to the world, the world loves you, because you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore it hates you. Whoever hates me hates the Father. Um, when the Spirit comes, I will send that to you from my Father, and the Spirit of the truth, you will know, comes from the Father. And the Spirit will testify on my behalf, and you will also testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. But, but now, of you, you ask me, where are you going? Where, am I, where I am going, you cannot come. The Spirit of truth will come and let you know. But if I go, I will send the Spirit to you. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he speaks, he hears. He hears from my Father, and he will glorify me because he will declare to you that you are mine. After all this, the Father has given you to me. For this reason, I will draw all men to me. I will draw all men to me when I rise up. In a little while, you will no longer see me, and you cannot go where I am going. The hour is coming, and I will no longer speak to you in figures. On that day, I will ask in, you will ask in my name, and I do not want you to ask the Father on my behalf, because I will. The Father loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and having come into this world, again, I am leaving this world, and I am going to the Father." Now his disciples said, you are no longer speaking in figures of speech, but are speaking now plainly? Now we are supposed to know all things? Yes, this is no biography. This is how John explains what it's like to be with Jesus in light of the resurrection. This is the way that John chooses to tell what happened with Jesus in light of the resurrection. I feel truly that this is the ancient text that it is here. It seems like that ancient text to me when I encounter it like that. And I feel it's this ancient text that the world has nearly lost complete access to. Complete. What is that? or that the world has almost lost access to what it's referring to, what it's trying to attempt to bear witness to. I hear echoes in it, but I can't quite understand all those words. I can't understand the actual words. I know their meaning. But with the repetition and the circling and the swirling and the I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and I'm in you and you are in me and the Spirit's in you and the Spirit speaks what it hears from me and I speak only what I hear from the Father and you will speak on my behalf, I have this sense that even at its writing, John is aware of the inadequacy of his words. He knows he's not quite saying what he wants to say. 
that he's not quite capable of telling about the experience in light of the resurrection. He knows he doesn't know completely. It's like when you have a song in your head, you know, and you can kind of hear the melody in your head, but you feel, you feel it more than you can hear it or remember hearing it more than you actually hear it in your head. And you try to ask your friends, you know, you know that song, that song, that, that song I love that goes like either like, uh, um, uh, or no, it goes like, um, if you, you, no, you know what I mean, I love that song, right? And then you try, they ask you, well, what are the words? And you're like, um, it goes, uh, you, no, 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 wait, I, no, but, I don't know, but I know I love that song. That's what this reminds me of. Like John is actually trying to describe the experience of being with Jesus, and all he can come up with is this circling, swirling, and humming. And all I, and I can kind of hear, I can hear an echo of the humming. And the only place I hear the melody, a strand of the melody, the few words that I can remember are when he says, I will not leave you orphaned. And then the swirling, I'm leaving, but I'm coming to you, and I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending the Spirit, and that day you will see me, and I will see you, and you'll be in the Spirit. And then I, I will not leave you orphaned. And even though I don't feel like I see the Father or Jesus or feel the Spirit in me or know all the things I'm supposed to know or speak on behalf of the Son, I have a feeling, a knowing, that I will not be snatched away, that I belong, a knowing, I'm going to call it a knowing, that I will not be orphaned, I will not be left alone which is really actually a very big and real thing. Because it's not what I always, always have thought about God. I would never have actually articulated it as being orphaned or abandoned, but there was always this notion that God made people and the world perfect and then went away, and then people screwed everything up. So God came back to the people and gave them the Ten Commandments and went away again. He abandoned the people to the law. And the people did not follow the law again. They messed everything up. So God sent Jesus to fix everything again. And he added the Sermon on the Mount to the Ten Commandments and then said, okay, you're all forgiven, do over. All right? Now behave. I'm coming back to check on you at the end of time. And then Jesus doesn't come back after that. I mean, yet. I don't know. Jesus hasn't come back. It's been 2,000 years. And here everybody is, not following the law, the Sermon on the Mount, or the Ten Commandments, or I don't know. We're just all here screwing everything up. And I just don't think it's possible that we're going to somehow get it together by the time Jesus comes back. I mean, but who knows? He's, he hasn't been here in a long time. But John makes that whole idea, that whole understanding I had about God, a lie. All that swirling and confusion and in and out. And he makes that, he, that makes this, my notion of God, old notion of God, a lie. It makes me think that maybe the most important thing isn't whether we're screwing up the world or not. 
Maybe the most, most important thing is the swirling. That God never left. That Jesus is going somewhere we can't go, but he's also already back. And there's really something to loving one another that helps me to see Jesus or that the only way I can love anyone is because Jesus did not abandon me. That there's the swirling that I can feel that I can't quite touch, but I can remember and know a little bit. I don't know if I, I don't get it fully or really at all because when I try to describe it, it seems kind of trite or I don't know. But I guess it's in there somewhere, this thing that I can't get at right now, and I'm going to go call it knowing, but it's knowing that I, I haven't been orphaned or abandoned. And that's enough to keep me listening, trying to remember to what I hear somewhere. I mean, I'm confused, but hopeful. It seems crazy that someone could be nourished by something that they don't know. Nourished by just an attempt to recapture, to hear something once more, an utterance that's been interrupted and repeated each time with a weaker and weaker voice until they could no longer hear it. But they can. And sometimes you could almost taste it.